0: Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Hi, everyone. It's Christine Patterson from Field Partner here. And today I have David and Vicki. Frazier, with me. Want to say hi?
1: Hi, friends.
2: Hello. Hello.
0: Okay. Glad to be here. um, They currently live in Central USA, but previously worked in the Middle East for many years. Out of their own experience and having seen many others struggle in a culture very different from their own, David wrote a book called Mission Smart. I don't remember now how I first heard about that book, but it resonated with me a lot which led me to contacting David via their website, Equipping Servants International. We find we're very much on the same page as far as training and sending of the right people are concerned. And they have kindly agreed to partner with us going forward. As well as going to our site, please do go to theirs to see the great resources there. That's www.esionline.org. So welcome David and Vicky. I'm so looking forward to hearing more about your story today.
2: We're glad to be here.
0: Very glad. Great. So tell us, first of all, where you're both from and what your backgrounds are and how did you both come to faith and so on? You want me to start? Sure. We're
1: actually from the same city in the US, from Memphis in the state of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And I came to the Lord when I was young. Um, but really rededicated my life to the Lord and started growing when I was about 15. And that was through church, through our involvement at church. And we actually met at church.
2: Yeah. So. Right. I grew up in the same church and uh, came to the Lord through a Christian camp. And I think when I was probably 12 or 13, but it wasn't until I was probably 16 or 17 to when I began to really pursue the Lord and learn how to look beyond myself. I remember being challenged you're at a point, David, you need to, you know, quit hanging around with your own friends. You need to begin to think outward. And that was my first step towards thinking missionally is to begin to look beyond myself, even in my own youth group. So that's where we're both from at church here in Memphis, First Evangelical Church. Yeah. And we grew up there, we got married there and we're still there. And they're the ones that sent us out.
0: Okay, so no. well, that was my next question as to where you actually met. So you met in church and how long did. have you been married? And how many kids do you have?
1: Uh, we've been married for 34 years and we have two daughters who are 27 and 23.
0: Were they born in the States before you went, uh, went overseas or were they born um, on the field?
1: So we got married, um, I was still in university when we were married and so I needed to finish university and then it took us a couple of years to get ourselves organized and get overseas so we actually didn't have children for seven years. Oh. So they were born three years after we moved to Turkey.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes. Our first. Right. That's where we were. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we were seeking to focus on the language. And then our children were actually born in the States while we were home.
1: On a
0: furlough. On a yeah. furlough.
2: But they grew up their entire lives there.
0: Uh huh. Great. So and you were there how long? 20 years.
2: 20
1: years. Yes, it was actually incredibly helpful for me to wait to have children until we had gotten some foundation in the language, um, just logistically, it was easier. And then there's only two of us adjusting as opposed to us and our children adjusting. <laughs> so right. I, I felt like it was really helpful yeah. to wait.
0: Yeah, that's so wise. So had you been involved in cross-cultural work before you went, or was that, um, I mean, what what led you, first of all, to feel like um, you should get involved?
2: Well, I, through, uh, the, I guess the music ministry of Keith Green, I first got opened up to the idea of God's heart for the nations. I had been, basically I'd been committed to, you know, something in ministry and probably yeah. camp ministry, Uh, or youth work, and then through Keith Green's last message, just opened my mind to the imbalance of the gospel worldwide, and so then I guess I I was in college, and I decided to change my major to intercultural studies, and began to study missiology, and, and cultural anthropology, so I actually did a lot of studies, and then graduated, and came back home, and Vicki, her journey was mainly through reading and biographies and a couple of short-term trips. So I guess
1: my cross-cultural experience was really limited, but I felt like the Lord was calling me to go overseas. So when we started dating and got married, that was when my cross-cultural exposure began through meeting refugees, meeting immigrants, meeting international students Mm. in Memphis. So that was kind of that four-year period before we moved overseas after we were married. That was what we were involved in. And it was a whole new world for me. I had grown up in the suburbs of a city and not really, except for a church, heard much about or met anyone from another place. So
2: that was it w- a right. big learning curve. Well, for me, it was still theory. I had studied these things and I was... I was fascinated with the idea of crossing cultures and engaging with people, with the God, but I hadn't. And it was so funny. I went to the U.S. Center for World Missions and thought I would start interviewing with different organizations. And they, one fellow asked me, so how many Muslim friends do you have right now? And I said, well, no, I'm studying down the road here. Um, and he said, well... After you've done that a couple of years, come back and see us. And I was after
1: you found a friend. Yeah,
2: and been working with that and 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 trying at that. And I was I remember feeling a bit offended. Uh, Well, doesn't he know what I've been studying? I have a degree in this. And what he challenged me was for real live experience. And he said, at the time we were, I was living in Los Angeles, and he was basically saying, "There's no excuse for not finding." way to get involved so there I had gotten a taste of it so when we came back to Memphis and then Vicki had just for her it was theory I mean
1: yes it was it was theory we grew up in a very
2: mission-minded church yeah but it was all going on planes and coming back and so suddenly it was you want to do missions um let's get started now and that is really the heart of some of the message in the book that I mentioned that I wrote is about getting started now so anyway. I'm jumping into things. But, no, but um, no,
0: I love that because I, I mean you say you, you you grew up in a missional church, but it's an in a monoculture, isn't it? I mean, like most yes. of, of the UK is too. It's mono. I mean, even though we had we call David Cameron once said that there's we have a failure of multiculturalism in the UK. Yes. Because exactly. everybody stays separate and you know, and, and we don't interact very much unless we have to kind of thing. And so I I love that emphasis, um, even before you went. And then I imagine that when you were on the field, you encountered a lot of people who hadn't had that pre-field preparation that you had had. And did that- Exactly. Yes.
2: There's a disconnect there. I, I found I would meet people that were really struggling to adapt and appreciate the culture there and, you know, just mm-hmm. even a simple thing, like as we began to engage with internationals here in our city, you know, dinner doesn't start till eight or nine o'clock and, and um, you're sitting on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And just so many different parts yeah, of I mean, entering there, you know, they're yes. they're two hours late. <laughs> and so as we began to interact with that here, we saw people on the field struggling and I would ask them, you know, did you meet anybody from this country back home before you came, and they, no, and so here I realized not only had their, they not realized they could have been engaging with that people group here, their church didn't realize it, their organization didn't realize it, and I, that's when I saw a disconnect, because especially when they're coming with a wife and a couple of children, and there's so many things they have to adapt to, we thought, wow, that would have been helpful if they had, Began to interact before they came.
1: Did you find that it was incredibly helpful for me, just in learning how to engage with different cultures and meet people where where they are, going to their homes, um, kind of getting through that uncomfortable. I don't know what's going on, and I'm in this situation that I don't can't read the cultural clues, cues, and I.
2: When's the food coming? Are we having a full meal? Um, What's going on?
1: Miscommunications <laughs> with our international friends.
2: Um, learning about that. The it meal was, prep it was, didn't begin until we arrived. Um, just tell me, you, what did you say? We were, this is back in the 80s. So Christine, I remember Vicki saying, I didn't know tea came hot.
1: I actually didn't know that.
2: <laughs> that's obviously <laughs> your... Obviously. <laughs> yeah, that's a different culture.
1: Yes. I didn't know that until a friend introduced it to me. i never had any ethnic food um, at all. So all of this was a big journey for me. And it was so interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think also just seeing the wide variety of cultures, because we were working with international students as well as refugees. I started learning how different cultures were and how, how I could adapt to different things and which cultures I felt more drawn to. I mean, even it was helpful because we made many, many choices. And when we were still in the US, it affected um, our desire to go overseas, affected where we chose to live. So we lived in apartments that were full of international students. Mm. Um, We made choices about where we spent our time. And it was good for us to narrow down our focus and realize we can't be church-based. We're going to be home-based with a lot of these.
2: Particularly um, where we were going, there wasn't gonna be that.
1: Well, yeah, we knew that where we were going there wouldn't be, so we were practicing it. Right. We wouldn't have that support system. Um, not that church. we completely withdrew, but we no. didn't, we weren't as involved in the programmatic parts of church, more mm-hmm. spending time with people.
0: Right. Did you already know ahead of time that you were heading for the Middle East and it was beyond Muslim culture, or did that get clarified as you got went along the line? I, yeah, I was just,
2: actually, somebody interviewed me yesterday and asked me that question. How did you get called there? And it's not a simple, um, it really what it was what I would call, a. what does Elizabeth Elliot call it? A still and small light? Certain. certain light. A
1: slow and certain light.
2: And so yes. I said to you that starting out, it was reaching out to my same culture people and feeling... And seeing that God wanted me to think missionally and live missionally. Then the next level was, okay, missions. Okay, the imbalance of the gospel worldwide. Um, so I was open to the whole world, but that didn't narrow things down. And then I went to a seminar on understanding and engaging Muslims. And I did not know those um. I didn't know the difference between Muslim and Islam when I walked in, and I think hearing the statistics and hearing the imbalance and how neglected that people group, that religious group was, overwhelmed me. I remember just sitting and weeping in my car saying, Lord, I have no idea. I'm just a kid Um, so far away from this. So so then the Lord narrowed it to Muslim world. Well, now we've got 1.8 billion people. So you say, how in the world did you find? So I would say that the main two ways was I used Operation World, the book, to begin praying. Yes. We started some friends and we started praying for countries. And then we also started engaging people from those countries. And I mean, we didn't focus. We had Chinese friends, Taiwanese friends, but we also had Middle Eastern, Middle friends. Eastern friends. And so we just began to explore friendships with internationals and praying for them while we worked through countries and saw their needs. So I guess you combined that with my skill set in teaching English as a second language. So I thought, okay, we want it to be in the, amongst the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. And Lord, would you guide us to one of these countries that is most needed? Maybe through those people groups, I the Lord would lead us. And yeah. that, that's sort of how it went.
1: Then then we um, organized a trip to visit several different countries where we were looking at jobs and ministry. And just during that trip, praying together, but also praying separately, um, visiting different cities within various Middle Eastern countries, even some non-Middle Eastern East West Asian we visited countries. a lot
2: of places. It was a it was a it was a trip, an extensive trip we took together. It was sort of my, I had, I actually spent a summer in London, um, engaging, uh, with Muslims there. But mm-hmm. um, it was sort of our crash course in, <laughs> immersing in other cultures and countries. And so there we were, yep. early twenties, backpacks, and we visited some countries and actually looked at ESL jobs and. Yeah. But as Vicki said, we journaled separately. We wanted the Lord to lead us both and call us both. That's so, so, then,
1: so then when we got home, we continued journaling and praying. And a couple of months later, um, David, just we sat down to talk. And he said, well, where do you feel like the Lord um, might be leading us? And I named the city and the country. And he felt the exact same way. Yeah. So the Lord had led us separately to the city. Yep.
0: And you had already visited. Is that right?
1: Yes. Sorry, yes.
0: Okay.
1: We had some friends from that country, from that city um, that had been in the U.S. And so we went to visit them while we were there and looked at different job opportunities.
0: Okay. So in, I think like us, you didn't go with an agency as such. You were sent out by yeah. the church, were you? And um mm-hmm. And then you found your own job and you got immersed yes. yep. right there. Okay. So um, I think you've also answered this to a degree, but in any, any sort of actual cross-cultural training you had kind of in situ, in, you know, by, by interacting with people. Is that what you say? Or was a lot of the stuff that you'd learned academically, did that learn? I
2: learned, know? yeah, I, I jumped into books. I mean, I had to write papers. And so it, it wasn't from real experience yet. I had to. And so I studied and majored in it, but I realized it was those four years interacting with immigrants yeah. and refugees and international students here in our own city and doing that together, which really gave us hands-on.
1: I think it brought life to all the academic side of
2: things. You had not studied them
1: Right, I just did self study, uh-huh. and and then we would, you know, we're interaction with people.
2: But I think there's a lot of value uh, to knowing something. So we sometimes do free field cross cultural training, and sometimes they'll say, "What do you think, Dave? You gotta, you know, how about an hour?" You know, <laughs> you think, um, you know, people are coming from the U.S. and they're. You know, you think we're a country of immigrants. We ought to have basic cross-cultural <laughs> skills. You would think. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I go, I spend the first 30 minutes, and all I do is talk about attitude. Attitude of appreciating and not judging it in my mind and respecting that it works for them. Um, it's made... It's been developed over hundreds, maybe thousands of years to keep for them to feel comfortable in it, not you. And just that if I could get them to come in with a respect and a humble, you're a visitor, you have a lot to observe and listen and learn in those early years. So if somebody said you've only got one hour, that's probably all I do is work on that attitude because I don't have time to go into all of the the charts and the, uh, the other things about layers and worldview and all that stuff. Mm.
0: That's so good, that's excellent. Now, um, I'm just gonna fast forward, I'm gonna read something off your, web, your website, because it's the, one of the opening quotes, which says, it costs a lot to send out and care for people in overseas ministry. However, the costs are immeasurable when these workers don't learn the language and culture well, fail to be effective, and return home in trouble spiritually and emotionally. So clearly, as you've been saying, you've seen some of that firsthand. So I was wondering whether you could share what led you to go in the direction of raising awareness of these issues rather than staying out on the field yourselves and then working with senders and pre-fielders to help them to do things right.
2: Yeah, we, I think our own journey, You know, I don't know, we, we, we are, we're fine with folks who go with organizations, that's fine, That um, we don't ever encourage anyone to do one thing or the other. But it seemed like by, because we didn't have some of the pressures that come with being on a team and having set goals, you know, you've got this amount of time to learn the language you have, you know, and we're going to begin seed planting and discipling and we're going to see a church in three years or whatever. Um, we did not have to feel all those pressures. So we began to observe during our time that people have come over without a lot of experience cross-culturally back in their home country. Without
1: a lot of training, some training maybe.
2: Mainly Bible training, mainly, you know, but it seems like in this work that if you say I'm called to X people or country, that somehow they get a pass (laughs) That in other kinds of vocational work, you don't get. (laughs) You don't get to say, I feel called to be a barrister, right? A a lawyer, you know, you have to do some study. And so there's something about when God calls you, there is, it it creates sort of a pass, I get to pull the God card, and I don't need to have those kinds of preparations. So we saw people coming with a lot of Bible training, spiritualizing a lot of what they're going to be doing. Then when they hit the ground, this culture, it's very, very different and the language learning, you know, the attitude of the people towards them, where they're from. And all of this is hitting them. They're going through culture shock. Then you add to it team expectations of you need to, you know, we've got goals here. You have a certain amount of time to get through language and culture And then you immediately start thinking of spiritual results. You have to send newsletters. Your church is looking to see if you're worth the bang of their buck. And um, then you feel your calling is on the line. God's looking at you going, I've sent you out as the best of the best here. Anyway, I think, Christine, the pressures seem to create people's crises in people's lives and they didn't need to have all of that they didn't need to be under that kind of pressure and so they would either struggle and try to fit into those timelines and then personally struggling maybe maybe personally maybe in their marriage their kids teen dynamics mm-hmm. and then they would leave so our particular country and part of the world has a reputation of people coming over with a lot of great goals and a lot of big ideas. And God has made it clear what they're going to do. And, um, and then they leave.
1: I think the culture kind of knocks them flat, honestly. Mm. There just seems to be, a and, and I don't know, a lack of respect. People, coming in without any cultural training, feeling like, well obviously our culture is better and more efficient and we're following God and this like there's nothing to gain from the cultures to which we're going. and there's so much to gain. It's really an attitude of arrogance
2: right. But you add to that, we're here to bring the spiritual light and we're gonna and God has told us this is going to happen. You're also not respecting the hundreds of people that have come before you and have attempted many of the same things you have, and therefore you don't have that teachability coming in. So that's just adding another pressure that you, during your particular time there, are going to see, Um, I don't know, you're, you're praying. And it's not, I always say, what do we say? expect great things from God, you know, and, and, uh, pray for them and and attempt great things for God as the, but there needs to be a humility, uh, particularly in the part of the world we went where, um, you don't see quick results and you need to respect those that have come before you and you need to be spending some time learning. So so I think that kind of beat some people up pretty quick. And we saw them leaving. And I will just add, how did it lead us to get involved in this? I literally began to ask my uh, the nationals there, those that we administered to, those that had come to Christ, What would you like to say to people coming from the West, coming, you know, and they, it took a while for them to believe I really wanted to know. <laughs> and I literally asked them lots of questions. And that is what came, that's what brought a lot of what I wrote out in my book. And we're doing what we're doing. It's not what the pastor here is so excited that Bill and Jane want to go to X country. And people here say, "Oh, well, that's amazing. We're trying to ask the people that you're going to serve, what would you like to say to them? And so a lot of insights came from that. A because whole they, lot of insights. And they were discouraged as they watched. You came over, you invested so much you spent all this money and time and you went through this for three and four years, and then you left. So they were feeling a little bit of the, uh, uh, I guess the, uh, they were part of that discouragement mm-hmm. because they thought they had hopes mm-hmm. that they were coming to help and to really engage. So that's how that all came about. And that's why we're doing, I guess, part of what we're doing. That's a long answer. <laughs>
0: any a good one. And, and uh, I mean, the 15 critical questions that people need to ask, which is the subtitle in your book, um, that's also how you honed it down to those 15, was it? the?
2: Well, if you'll notice, there's nothing in there about why we go to reach the nations, you know, the Great Commission. There's nothing in there about how important leaning on God and his spirit to work and to, and to bring people to Christ through prayer. I, I figured there was enough of those materials out there. Um, so it might, people could look at it and say, these are the only questions that we have. No, these are more. The
1: forgotten ones.
2: Yeah. And you'll notice there's a picture. I'm at the airport on the book and that's sort of the, we used to always say which we could catch Folks, as they were heading out on the field at the airport, hey, we, <laughs> now that you're all very excited and you have this vision and the Lord is leading you, could we ask you some, some more nuts and bolts questions about your plan um, and how you got here and have you thought these things through? So that's sort of, it's not the only questions, let's be very clear.
0: No, but I I, mean, I I would highly recommend it because um, for all the reasons we're saying, um, if you're not asking those questions, you're probably in for a, the same tough ride. Um, mm-hmm. And it's going to be a tough ride anyway. That's what we always say. You're, you know, on the front line of missions, you're going to be in spiritual of yes. warfare. That there are enough problems already without being unprepared for them. Yes. So, um, yeah, but um, as far as I see... We need to be reaching the senders as much as the people who are going. Yes. In terms of their expectations and how they engage with the preparation, so I wonder if you could talk about that a bit as to you know the churches senders. Yeah. So you know, I really agencies.
2: Some people have said that my book was designed for you know is it is it for churches is it for individuals, and I think because so many young people, and I think we've talked about this, Christine, they feel a desire, they get on the internet, they find a place, they find where they feel like the world wants them to go. And that's sort of the world we live in in 2021. This idea of you can do it just, you know, and and they buy the ticket on their phone. Um, and so there, I wrote it with that in mind. I, I guess you could call it iMissions. You know, it's that idea like iPhone, my, this is my mission and I can do this. And so I wrote it, hey, if all we, if all I can do is get this in the hands of the goer. But within the book, I make it very clear that I wrote it really for churches, for senders yeah. who say, David, we don't know what kinds of questions to be asking, we're so thrilled that they said they want to—they want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Um, what should we be looking for? And often they focus on things like, you know, theology and, mm-hmm. and do they understand the church? And those are very important. But I said, you know, before they even get to that, they could be knocked out by a, a number of other things. And so I wrote it in a sense so that people in the church could literally. Hand the book to a candidate and say, start reading this. Let's work on these together. And yes. even agencies use it as well.
1: I think part of it also is many times with what we've observed over the last 30 years, when people return prematurely from the field, they there were people who knew them who would have, they saw the problems potential problems, they saw some of the things that end up happening, but because they didn't have experience overseas, because they weren't, they were kind of in awe of the the call of this person, they weren't empowered to ask the questions, Mm -hmm. so part of the the purpose of the book is to empower uh, regular church members who have much insight and the Holy Spirit to ask questions and not be afraid to ask
0: a practical question. Mm -hmm. That's perfect. That really
2: is powerful. I mean, when a church can say to a man, What is your plan for your wife to be able to learn the language well enough to feel at home, to show hospitality to neighbors, raise the children there? What's your plan? Um, and he just thinks, Well, of course she's going to like, Of course. Do you know how harder life is for a woman?
1: With small children overseas, or period. or school age children trying right. to learn a language and cope with all of the mothering and the children cross culturally adjusting and yeah
2: so for the book to work hand in hand right now I'm working with a church that's what we've done is we said a candidate will get the book start reading it answering the questions but also there will be a mentor and ideally it would be somebody with cross cultural experience overseas but if not at least yeah. <laughs> sort of holding them accountable as they answer the questions. And all I say is, we're not trying to discourage anyone from going. We don't want to make this so hard. I've had people say, I started reading it, there were so many questions, I got discouraged. And I said, No, 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 no. no. Um, you know, I most likely you just need to know these things, you need to have considered them. Don't feel that we're talking you out of it.
1: Mm. Well, the questions are going to hit you, most of these, as soon as you get there. Anyway, better to have dealt with as much as you can before you leave, is our philosophy.
0: Yeah, totally. Mm. Great. So, and then, I mean, I'm looking at your website again, apart from the book, I'm in, very taken with a podcast and the topics that you raise on the podcast. And Vicki, I understand that that's largely your platform is the, where you get to share a lot of stuff, so... I
1: really enjoy doing podcasts, and we've had so many opportunities to interview people um, about their personal experiences. So we're trying to bring the theoretical into the practical in the podcast, and we have really enjoyed that.
2: Topics that we may have touched on in the book or we haven't. I mean, like when we wrote the book, we had only been in the country. We'd only been home from the field a couple of years So to ask us about reentry, we would have said we were still in the storm and the fog. (laughs) And so we didn't talk about it. But as now, it's been about 10 years since we've been back. And we've been, I guess, talking to counselors, reading books. We
1: have our own experiences, but we also have been privileged to walk with a lot of families as they are reentering. entering And so we have that added wisdom of different people's experiences.
2: And tell them about the material that you got involved with a few years ago that has really helped.
1: Oh, yes. Um, The Trauma Healing Institute, uh, which is a a program that is designed to, to empower the church for believers to know how to engage in a trauma informed way with people. And it originally actually was written um, in Africa and has spread to the rest of the world. So it is not a Western written book. Um, And it's our curriculum and it's really been helpful. We've actually used it as a debriefing for a lot of people returning from the field and how to engage with their story and then express those things, those feelings and the losses to the Lord, and then bring that pain to him and move toward forgiveness, building up resilience. So that has been an incredibly helpful thing. It
2: uses basic trauma, best practices for, you know, not not professional.
1: It was written in, it was uh, mental health professionals came in and worked with local pastors and missionaries to write this curriculum. For local people, lay people to employ, so that they could they could work with people who had had trauma and not do further harm.
2: And where and they would learn through the Trauma Healing Institute. Just Google that. Yeah, Trauma
1: Healing Institute. Right. Yeah.
2: So that material has helped because you don't think about missionaries, at least in normal missions experience, you wouldn't have thought a trauma. There are many that really experience capital T trauma. Let's say, mm-hmm. but we didn't realize that just returning to this culture
1: you know was well, traumatic yeah
2: the first time we come home if you know what is home we'd spent 20 years there <laughs> and the, the first thing they say is well I guess you're glad to be home <laughs> and obviously with our kids they <laughs> kind of went uh, no home was back there but even for us you would think home would be a place you're very um comfortable and
1: no we got back and found that we didn't fit like when we left and that is very challenging actually working through um, some of this curriculum helped all four of us in our family process things that had happened in the country where we were as well as upon our return
2: and you know our country has changed the culture has changed the church our own church has changed Mm -hmm. yeah we have changed and so coming back um you know are we really have we adjusted? I, I, I don't know, you know, you talk about third culture kids, you know, sometimes we don't ever write about third culture adults, but we <laughs> feel like immersing ourselves in that culture for so many years and then not having access for at least the majority of it to media, over, you know, the internet kept us pretty in the dugout there for all those times. And so coming back here to a different kind of culture that isn't that sit down and drink tea culture and and, um,
1: spend hours and hours visiting (laughs) and gallons
2: of tea yes there was it's more of that higher fast pace uh, task oriented not people oriented and it is still difficult
1: that that was probably our number one difficulty in adjusting back was the incredible fast pace of life and the task oriented nature, the program oriented nature of everything. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. Well, there's a lot right there. I mean, re-entry, I think nobody thinks it's going to affect them the way it does because they think, well, I'm just going home, you know, but then (laughs) as you, for all the reasons you say, you find that it's not really home anymore. Mm And you feel alone, I think. You feel alone. And that
1: is where it's so hard.
0: Yeah. And that's another area where senders need to understand and not be offended because, you know, okay, so you don't feel home here and, you know, you're not really happy to be with us. And, you know, it's very easy, I think, for the people receiving missionaries back to take on offense, you know, to feel, well, you know, why are they so critical? Why are they so, you know, out of it? And, you know...
2: And I wanted to say, one of the things that that did help us um, actually re-enter better, a couple of, just two things that I think of, because we were engaging with the nations right here in our own city before we left, realizing that God didn't actually, we didn't even really need to get on an airplane to reach the nations, and that if God had kept us here, I had to sort of had a battle with the Lord one night about this, like, what if I never go? And once I got it very clear that I am the Lord's and let him use me wherever and my zip code, or as you call it, postal code or whatever, wherever I live, my neighborhood doesn't really matter if it's here or in the Middle East. Having that clear with the Lord and sort of making that real that I am the Lord's wherever he would have me, you know, my, basically my identity isn't dictated by where I live. Having that set, Christine, so that when we did go, we always held it lightly. We would spend, I think every two years we would sit and evaluate, are we, are we thriving? Would the Lord have a stay? And we would decide to stay. But then when we decided to come home, it wasn't as traumatic because we said, Well, what are you going to do?
1: Well, we're going to do the same thing here
2: in many ways. And then going made it when people said, well, Where are you going to move to you're going to go be a missionary? No. We're hopefully going to continue to do what we're doing here over there. And so having that, I guess that integrity of calling that wherever we were going, that helped us. Um, I think the second thing that helped me was my identity was also knowing who I was as a disciple or a mentor, an English teacher. Um, I realized I was doing that here. I could do that there. If I came home, I could do that here. I think some people feel such a huge loss when they are not doing anything like that. And then they just, it's a brand new job. It's, I've, they've never done cross-cultural work. They've never done what they're doing. And if they lose it, then they're, you know, what are you going to do now? And I, and I said to someone, well, I'm not going to start selling insurance. I am going to keep doing what I'm about in some way. And that probably helped the adjustment going and coming. Yeah, both ways. Yeah.
0: And I love what you said earlier about the need for a mentor to go through your book, because I think returning missionaries are the best kind of mentor, you know, because they've got all the experience. And, you know, it also gives them a way of sort of a pathway of continuity to make their past value valuable.
1: And now that all of us have gotten used to how to use Zoom, um, even, you don't even have to have someone in your city to or be a church. mentor That's or right. your church. That's so right. it's really the world is smaller. You can even have someone, if you can't find someone who's returned from the field, you can have a mentor on field yeah. who is willing to walk with you. And mm-hmm. with David's book in particular, the more you talk through the questions that are in the book, the more you will benefit from the book.
2: Yeah. And these videos are so helpful, Christine, because that hearing someone else's journey, while it may be unique to them, everyone will pick up something they had not thought through or that um, connects with their journey. So it's very helpful to these interviews. I I appreciate you doing that.
0: Great, thank you. Um, Just one more question I had was about the marriage course that is up there because, you know, again, I think it's very clear that marriages come under a lot of pressure when people are going through all this kind of stuff and family life generally. Mm-hmm. So, um, tell us about the marriage course because I went, I went, listened to those videos and I, I I loved them. I loved what you shared there because they were also positive. So, tell us about the origins of that and, you know, what.
1: Well, I think the origins actually start um, back in the Middle East because what we found is that. As we watched people, as we lived our own lives and worked through our marriage, you know, things that came up there, that marriage is central. If you, if you are married, your marriage is central to the success of your ministry. Um, It has to be strong. And if your marriage fails, everything around it will fail. Mm. So we saw over and over and over that this was the, one of the vital topics Um, so after we returned back here, we, David ran into a friend of ours who asked us if we would join in a pilot group, he was wanting to train people on how to mentor one another in marriage, because the goal is for all of us to be able to mentor one another. This is not a specialized thing for counselors. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we, we were trained by him and then, you know, we were talking, we thought we were trained in this, you know, so we could help all the other people, um, you know, with their marriages. And of course, what ended up happening is many, many things surfaced and, uh, it deeply affected our marriage and made our marriage stronger and better. Um, and so we would be talking about it with our friends, the things that we had learned and a pastor friend of ours asked us if we would, Come and share this at this church. And I mean, my first answer was absolutely not. I'm not a speaker. And <laughs> I'm with you that <laughs> I, I am not do not put me in front of a camera or a microphone. And yet here we are. Um, <laughs> so so we said, well, we prayed about it. okay.
2: We you said, know, would you just put a couch up on the stage and a lamp and say, we'll invite you into our living room and we'll just share with you what we've learned about these principles. We're not professional counselors. We haven't been trained in it. Mm -hmm. And what the pastor who wrote it has learned is that, yes, you need professional counseling when there are specific things going on in a marriage. And yet he said 85 to 90% of problems are just basic learning how to resolve conflict, how to serve one another and and basic biblical principles And so we said look this is not you know when there's serious issues happening we definitely send people to counselors but we just say when especially if you're far away some people said what is what is how are y'all getting involved in marriage i thought you were doing missions and of course that's so comical (laughs) what does missions have to do with marriage and of course they if you're
1: married it has everything it has everything
2: to do with it because you're far away you've got you've got unique pressures And you're also often away from a lot of the resources we have back in our home churches. And therefore, you're going to need tools to stay healthy. So one of the reasons we've specifically put it on our website and not just made it this personal hobby is because we say, get this stuff, learn how to interact with this material so that when you are in a difficult situation where you're juggling culture shock, and ministry, and um, pressures, you'll know how to work through things. So that's sort of how it is. It's not professional. It's just David and Vicky teaching these materials and telling how they, how we've learned to practice them in our own marriage.
1: And, and what we have found is that it's the interaction of people. You, you can watch a video, and then it's the questions and the interaction. So we've designed it so that people can have you know, an hour, hour and a half um, time of discussion with other couples and then between uh, a husband and wife themselves, because it's in the talking through and giving examples and applying this to your life and encouraging one another that, that we see the most growth. Mm.
2: Yeah, we've told them, you should probably go watch a video a month, then try to discuss it and practice it.
1: And then figure, find out from the other couples how yeah. it's going with practicing. Yeah. yeah,
2: it's not designed for just, you know, watch them all in one weekend and you've got it type of thing. So yes. And it's
1: also uh, some friends of ours that were abroad said, we want this material. Would you come do it? And we realized those kinds of requests were going to keep coming. So we wanted something that was Internet based that people can organize themselves and do. And then that's creating other people to mentor one another in their community. That's, yeah. right. Which is the goal.
2: So during COVID, we right. we knew there were cameras laying around in empty churches and said, let's go do this. So that's what Matt led us to do it.
0: Excellent. Well, I think in a nutshell, you've said what our, re- our reason for being is as well, you know, in Field Partner, is to sort of have resources out there that people can mm-hmm. find. And so what we're trying, mm-hmm. trying to do is to provide a portal to all, all sorts of other places, like including your website, so that people can go find what they need. So, anyway, thank you very, very much, both of you, for sharing. Um, Thank you also for agreeing to partner with us, um, and we look forward to seeing what that looks like. We'll get a page Mm -hmm. up, a partner's page, and we'll have your interview up for people to watch. And Anyway, thank you very much for joining us to listen to this interview, and please do go to ESI Online to check out um, what David and Vicky have on their website, and go to askfieldpartner.org and also to the Facebook site to um, like us there. And uh, if you find any of this helpful, please let your friends know and let others know as well. Bye-bye then for now. God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.